In this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, we're going to start a new series on the Gospel of Mark. This episode in particular is going to ask the question, what is a gospel and why would I believe them? Stick around. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. My name is Luke Arredondo, and I am the Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute in the Diocese of Tyler. I am so excited um, to be on this podcast and to get this series started. We have been um, working on the documents of Vatican II for a while, and we are now shifting um, into a series of episodes that are going to be really focusing on uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, so this is really exciting for me because um, in my master's degree, I spent a lot of time studying uh, the New Testament, studying the Gospels, learning about biblical scholarship, the history of biblical criticism, um, the Church's teaching on Scripture, and all this sorts of stuff, and I very rarely have appropriate channels to sort of share that information with other people. So I'm really excited. It's also exciting because this is our 100th episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast. Uh, so that's very, very neat. And um, what we're going to do in this specific episode, this conversation, is really give you an overview, introduction really, rather, an introduction to thinking about the Gospel of Mark. So why are we starting with the Gospel of Mark? Why are we doing this? Well, one of the, the ideas that came up in, in a discussion with our team was that we haven't really sat down and had an extended chance to really talk about the Scriptures in our podcast. Um, and just the Gospels seem like the place to go, and the Gospel of Mark, to be honest, is the shortest one. So it gave me the best chance to try and somehow, some sort of helpful way, guide people through the Gospel of Mark. So we are going to uh, really be focusing on big themes in the Gospel of Mark, um, but as I said in this episode, I want to kind of offer a little bit of an introduction to Mark's Gospel generally, and also a little bit more on this part, Think about what Gospels themselves, like what is a Gospel? What, in fact, is this kind of a book? And and what can we learn about that as in terms of a genre? How should we read it? How should we approach it? So, so just some very basic stuff to, to start with in terms of the Gospel of Mark. Um, the author is Mark, um, who tradition says is a disciple of Peter. And so basically what, what we believe and, and, and have good reasons to believe is that Mark was a disciple of Peter, he heard Peter's preaching directly, and then his written gospel, Mark's gospel, is essentially uh, an account of uh, what Jesus taught coming from Peter. Um, in terms of the, the dating, uh, most uh, people agree this is an early gospel. There is debates about, of course, exactly when it was written. Um, I think that the interpretation that Mark's Gospel was written prior to the year 70 AD really 
is the most satisfying explanation because in Mark's gospel there is a, a prophecy of the destruction of the temple, and if it were written any later than 70, um, you would expect, I think, more specific detail about exactly what the destruction looked like because the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem happened in the year 70. And what we have here is a prophecy, something that does not seem to have taken place yet. Who is the gospel for? Um, that's important. Writers have audiences. Who's the audience for Mark's gospel? As you work your way through Mark's gospel, one of the things that you'll encounter several times is a Jewish custom being explained for the readers, for the audience. And so that gives us a, a pretty solid uh, reason to say that Mark's gospel is most likely written for Gentiles, either Gentile Christians um, or you know people who are maybe going to convert, uh, but not for a Jewish audience because a lot of Jewish things are, are explained. Um, and so this is a, like a real raw basic information about what is, what is Mark's gospel in particular? As I said, it's one of the shortest gospels. I think it's somewhere around like ten or 11,000 words. It's not very long. Um, it's 16 chapters, and it is packed full of action. Um, one of the big themes that we'll actually spend a whole episode talking about in this series is the, the speed of Mark's gospel. It is very, very fast. The word immediately is used a huge number of times in Mark's gospel. Jesus immediately does this, and someone immediately says this, and then they immediately go here. So it's a very action-packed gospel. There's not a lot of long teaching discourses in it. The thing that I want to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about in this uh, introduction, though, is what is a gospel? It's just generally that the concept of a gospel. What is that? This is called the question of genre, right? What is this book? What kind of book is it? So biography, poetry, documentary, you know, um, political theory, all of these are sort of different genres of books. You go to, if you go to a bookstore, um, you know, there's a self-help section, there's, you know, uh, DIY, like hobby stuff, there's fiction, historical fiction, different genres. And when you're in those sections of a bookstore, you have at least some clue what you ought to expect of the books that are in that section. You have a set of expectations that you can um, kind of go and then use those to navigate. Do I want to read this book? What is this going to entail? That sort of thing. That's really important to ask that question about gospels. And the answer that we give to what is the genre what is a gospel? How do we define gospels? Really has a tremendous impact on how we read them and how we interpret them. So I want to tell you that a gospel, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels are biographies of Jesus. Now already, probably, when I say the gospel is a biography, probably a lot of people are thinking, that's a pretty short biography. I mean, 10, 11,000 words, you know, even if you read all four Gospels, they're not that long. You know, if you stack up the pages in, uh, you know, typical printing of the Bible, so this is, you know, my, my, Ignatius, uh, new, my Ignatius Bible, RSV, all four Gospels look like this. So if you're, if you're not watching on YouTube, you should watch on YouTube to see how tiny this is. 
What does it mean then to say that the Gospels are biography? Well, I think it makes a little bit more sense to say the Gospels are ancient biographies. And I want to talk a lot about what that means today. Prior to the 20th century, um, in really like the, 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 the 19th, the 18th century even, um, the, the idea of the Gospels as being biographies was a little bit more widespread, but biographies themselves began to change in the 18th century. And so you have some scripture scholars, um, Boltmann is one, who began to reject the idea that the Gospels were biography and instead suggested that they were folk literature or that they were their own thing, that they don't fit into any category of any other book that we've ever seen. It's some totally unique genre. And when that caught on among Bible scholars, it really had a tremendous impact on the way that the Bible, that, that in particular the Gospels, were interpreted and very much impacted the notion of whether or not you can rely on the Gospels for historical um, accuracy. Did these things really happen? There's a lot of other currents of thoughts going on in the 18th century. Rationalism, naturalism, these things are impacting Scripture studies. But genre of the Gospels as not being a biography, it's got to be something else, really has a big impact. Because when you don't believe that the Gospels are biographies, and you think it's a folklore, a myth, it's sui generis, meaning it's its own genre, um, then it becomes very difficult to think that there's any reason to put any stock in what these books are telling us about Jesus. And if it's folk literature, you begin to think, well, folk literature, myths, these sorts of things, they are sort of group stories. They're told by lots of people. They don't, you, in other words, you can't identify an author. So if you can't identify an author, then how are you going to know when it was written and how are you going to be able to, you know, verify its claims or, or trust its claims and those sorts of things? Um, and if it's written by a group of people, then the theory begins to emerge that what we read in the Gospels isn't telling us about Jesus. It's telling us about the views of the people who told these stories about Jesus. And it's really we're learning more about them than we are about Jesus. So this is really has a, a big impact on the way people kind of begin to treat the Gospels. Now, this is not the Church's approach. Um, the Church wants to say that the, the, the Scriptures are certainly reliable um, and that the Gospels are reliable because they're based on eyewitness testimony. But I want to I really hit on this, this notion of a biography, and in particular, an ancient biography. So if you go to a bookstore today and you buy a biography— very big feature of, of modern biographies is that it's chronological, that it's very long, not going to be 10,000 words isn't going to cut it, and that it's comprehensive. Biography about a modern figure should tell us everything there is to know about the person. Um, even maybe the things that aren't, uh, you know, as uh, glamorous, right? So even including scandals and just everything we can get. Um, and, uh, you know, I, to take a sort of a Catholic biography example, I love George Weigel's Witness to Hope. It's, I don't know, it's eight or 900 pages, and that's only really part one of the story of John Paul II, right? And that's, it's, it's, so it's humongous, right? There is a chronological accuracy in contemporary biographies. There is a length and a comprehensiveness that modern people, when we hear biography, we expect those things.
that's not how ancient biographies worked. Ancient biographies were, were a very different shape and form, and I think it's very important for us to know that there are other biographies, other ancient biographies, not merely the Gospels. So this isn't like some magic trick where I say, the Gospels are biographies. They don't look like our modern biographies, but they are. We actually have other biographies that we can compare them with. And so when you do a study of ancient biographies, you see this general sort of uh, shape. They're about ten to 20,000 words long. They're a prose narrative. It's telling a story. There's a rough chronology, so not an exact, this happened in this, and it was on this day and this many, you know, just a sort of a general ordering of events. And they focus on one person, and they tell us, what do they typically tell us? Well, the content of a, an ancient biography would deal to detail the, the ancestry of the person that they are about, give us a little bit about their family, a little brief treatment of their childhood or their birth, and then, in large ways, fast forward to their arrival on the public scene to, for their profession or their career. So they skip over, in other words, a significant part of their life. Uh, if you are a fan of our podcast, you know I'm a big fan of Superman. A lot of Superman stories do this. They tell us he came from Krypton, his parents found him, he was a little kid, and then suddenly he's off to Metropolis, and we don't really learn a lot, right? Um, that's, that's sort of a, a, a parallel in pop culture um, to this sort of ancient biography. So a little bit about the birth, a little bit about the family. They're an adult. What are they doing? What's the thing they're known for? A lot of information about their adult life, their, their public career. And then typically um, dealing with a crisis of uh, uh, some sort of major event in their life that reveals the true character of the, the focus of the biography, their best teaching or their finest deeds, and then it details their death. So when we look at other ancient biographies, we see the length, 10 to 20,000 words, a rough chronology, but, but not even a, an, a, a, an honest attempt to capture everything, like the comprehensiveness is not present in an ancient biography. It just wasn't necessary, because what was the purpose? The purpose of an ancient biography was to give us a general idea, a general sense of who a person is. And so we select certain stories, certain moments from their life, especially their whatever their, their central crisis or, or challenge would be, what are their, their best teachings and their finest deeds. So we collect these together and we present that, and then the reader can get a basic idea of who a person is. And you see this in ancient lives of philosophers or uh, different writers and thinkers that they follow this general outline. So when you have this just basic awareness of an ancient biography, what it, what it looks like, and then you go to the Gospels, what you'll see is they fit into this very, very well. Um, this is a great resource that, that uh, I recommend if, if you're interested in learning more about this question. It's from Brant Petrie. Um, I was a student of his, and so I'm always recommending his books, and they're excellent books. I would recommend them anyways, but I do, I do want to you know, say I, I was one of his students. Uh, it was a great joy in my life to be able to study with him. He has uh, this book, The Case for Jesus, details this question about ancient biographies and um, talks about other 
uh, similar things related to the reliability of the Gospels. But when he, when he looks at the length of the Gospels, he's got them listed here, so I'm going to read just the, the length. Remember, an ancient biography is about 10 to, 10 to 20,000 words. So Matthew's Gospel is 18,000 words, around about 18,000. Mark's is around 11,000. Luke, around 19,000. John, about 15,000. Um, and if you look at some of the other characteristics... All of the things that you see in an ancient biography of Plutarch or you know um, uh, Josephus or whoever, and whoever they're about or whoever's written them, they 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 follow this sort of uh, form. They're also written interestingly around the same time frame as many of the Gospels. So what that means is, in the ancient world, when the Gospels were being written, the audience that received them or that heard them or that you know got a copy shared with them they would know this is a biography of someone. They wouldn't go, huh, a gospel, let me read this, and then they wouldn't, they wouldn't be reading through it going, what, you know, what kind of book is this? I just don't understand what's the point of this. The point of this would be to tell you about Jesus Christ, and that is clear-cut, clear in a way, the purpose of the gospels is to tell us about who Jesus is. And so we learn things about his birth, about his ancestry, sometimes it's more about the birth, sometimes it's more about his ancestry, but his background. And then we skip to basically his public ministry, his greatest teachings, Sermon on the Mount, some of his greatest deeds, the miracles, raising people from the dead, feeding the, the crowds, healing people, those sorts of things. And then his challenge, right? His, his, his moment of crisis, the crucifixion, where he is resurrected. And so like just on a, a very basic way, I want you to feel confident that what you're reading in the Gospels is not merely just stories that were told about Jesus by some anonymous community 200 years after his birth, but rather that they are eyewitness accounts, and there's a whole separate thing we would want to do to, to kind of get into the eyewitness part, but they're eyewitness accounts that are composed in the form and a recognizable form of an ancient biography, and that really... Gives us much more clarity on being able to trust them. In fact, in Dei Verbum, the Second Vatican Council's document on divine revelation, you have this notion that we uh, we are able to ascertain by reason the trustworthiness of the gospel. It is not merely belief. It's not just that we believe the gospels, but we know them to be true. And that difference between knowing and belief means that it's a, reason, a reasonable proposition to say that we can trust the Gospels. Um, the other uh, aspect about seeing the Gospels as biographies is that we recognize they've got an individual author. It's not a community. And that helps to explain some of the complexities that arise when you are using a different framework. So if the Gospels are anonymous, a bunch of people collected stories, right? and some editor put it together, then it's hard to explain why Luke's gospel has a certain feel and style to it that's different than John's, uh, that, there's, that there's sort of a coherence to them, makes much more sense when there's a single author. But what about the audience? Um, on on the, the theory that the gospels are just sort of, you know, myths or, or stories created by a community, it's difficult to, to, to see why they would have spread beyond that community. Right, so for instance, you know, like in my own family, I have stories that I tell my kids. I have stories that my dad has told me, that my grandpa has told me, that are interesting, sometimes funny, but they're you know they're family stories. Um, 
it, it wouldn't make very much sense for me to say, I'm going to collect these into a book and then share it with people and expect that everybody's going to be interested in them or learn from them, right? They're, they're sort of their family stories. They're, they're a community of my family in which these stories make sense and are important. But beyond that, they don't have like a whole lot of bearing. If the Gospels were just stories collected by a community about Jesus, uh, it would be harder to see why they would spread. But if uh, you know the, the, the Gospels are written um, without that, in other words, they're not collected stories from a group, but they're written by an individual, then it gets us, it makes it easier for us to see why they have such a wide audience. They were, they were written to tell everybody about Jesus. And for instance, in Mark's gospel, explaining Jewish customs to non-Jewish readers, that was an important thing to do. If it was, um, you, you know, written just by people within a Jewish context, maybe they wouldn't explain it. Um, but also the, the wider knowledge, the wider audience of, of the Gospels is, is really important. One of the things that's really fascinating to me about, um, you know, scholarship on the genre of the Gospels and, and the purpose of them is this idea that these texts were likely read out loud in public settings. And so they're meant to be shared with people and to be shared widely. Uh, I couldn't go back far enough into my, uh, my, my research and my, my books that I've read years ago when I was doing my master's degree, uh, but I, I remember a little anecdote about um, some, and I can't remember which, which scholar it was, I think it was Richard Burge, maybe someone else, theorizing that the Gospel of Mark is short enough that it could have certainly been memorized and sort of proclaimed in a, in a single, you know, in a single dinner setting, like you go to someone's house and they want to, they want to share the gospel with you. And they would just literally tell you the entire gospel of Mark. I don't know that, that, that we can be sure about that, but the length of it and the use of memorization that was common in the ancient world certainly makes it possible, especially for Mark's gospel at being just a little over 10,000 words that we, that that would have been possible. So as we embark on Looking at the Gospel of Mark over the next several episodes on the podcast, what I want to encourage you to do is think about these as being biographies and to, to think about the way in which these texts are supposed to reveal Jesus Christ to you. Another dimension here, we're just going to be looking at Mark's Gospel as we work through these, these next several episodes, but on your own, you know, either you can do this now or just think back, if you're someone that reads the Scriptures a lot, Think back on how Mark gives you a different, slightly different take on Jesus than you might see in Luke or John or Matthew, or maybe just the synoptics give you a certain impression of Jesus and you get a slightly different flavor um, from John. I want you to sort of realize that there's nothing conflicting or bad about that situation precisely because it's different people telling their own presentation of Jesus's life, right? And we shouldn't expect identical stories, identical chronology on every single detail from four different authors, the same way that we don't expect identical biographies of contemporary figures written by different authors, right? So if you are a big Michael Jordan fan and you read two or three different biographies on him, you're going to get some 
slight discrepancies, some slight disagreements on the meaning of a certain event or the inspiration for a certain decision. You know, why did he really retire? Why did he really come back? Why did he really change his number? Those sorts of things, you get different takes on it because different people are telling you the story. So there is, I think in some circles, a lot, a lot of sort of so-called scandal about the differences between the Gospels, and even in like straightforward biblical scholarship, that gets played up a lot. Well, John has a high Christology, and Mark has this Jesus who's, you know, got to put spit on, on someone to heal them, and it doesn't work the first time, and he goes back and does it a second time, so clearly these two guys aren't working with the same concept that Jesus is the Lord. That is a very facile way of looking at the different texts of the Gospels and the different portraits of Jesus that they give us. And what's really great, actually, is when you realize that behind those small sorts of discrepancies, small sorts of uh, details, there is actually a great unity and coherence presenting the figure of Jesus the Messiah. So I want to encourage you to stick around with us um, as we go through these next several episodes where we're going to be investigating different big themes of the gospel of Mark. We're not going to try and walk through chapter by chapter, you know, cover all of it, because I think that that would be just too much work, um, and there's just so much richness here. So what we're going to be doing is talking about these big questions. First of all, in our next episode, we're talking about who is Jesus? Like, what is the identity of Jesus presented to us in the gospel of Mark? The second one, the urgency of the gospel in Mark, how immediate and fast-moving and fast-paced and action-packed the gospel is for Mark, um, and, and what, what maybe we can learn from that. The third episode is going to talk about Jesus and his ministry of exorcism. In Mark's gospel in particular, we get this vivid portrait of Jesus freeing people from demons, and there is so much packed into these stories that I just want to look at the exorcism stories in Mark's gospel and just sort of talk about some of the underlying things that are going on there and what it, what it can mean for us spiritually when we see this, hopefully, in a, in a new light. The fourth one I want to talk about, the fourth you know, part of, of the gospel, we're going to talk about the role of faith when Jesus heals people. You see this really clearly, especially in Mark's gospel, when someone is healed, it's on account of their faith. And so I want to just kind of explore some of the healing stories and see where faith, what, what role faith plays. And then the last part of the series is going to be looking at the, the disciples as a group. Um, what is their comprehension of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is about? So that's sort of what we've got planned. Uh, again, I do want to make uh, a recommendation for this book by Dr. Petrie, The Case for Jesus. Uh, it is a really excellent summary of some some just fantastic apologetic responses to a lot of different controversies and questions surrounding the Gospels and why we can, in fact, trust them. So check this out. It's a great book. Uh, it's by Image Books, um, and uh, it's highly readable. This is not something that you need to be an expert. Even I can understand it, so I know that you can understand it. All right, so that's what we got planned for this series on Mark, um, and I hope that you stick around for the rest of it. Thanks for joining us this time. God bless.